I think, for me, weather isn't something that uh, should be feared. Uh, weather is something that should be appreciated and enjoyed. And one of the key things about being an overlander is that you're out in this. You've got the opportunity, you're surrounded by it all of the time, and the weather is quite spectacular, and it can add such a huge amount of joy and challenge to every single day that you're out there. Um, I like the weather. Hi, this is Joe Russ, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. We got a good one for you. Today, we're going to talk about the weather, dealing with the weather while you're riding your motorcycle, particularly on a long trip. We have special guests, Grant Johnson, Graham Field, and Sam Manicom, who are going to help work us through how to deal with the weather on your motorcycle. Talk with any experienced overlander or motorcycle adventure, and they'll all have their own experiences dealing with the weather at one time or another. In fact, if you did a survey, you'd like to discover that experienced motorcyclists, you know, the ones that have a lot of miles under their feet, have a lot of stories about inclement weather. But as Sam Manicom said in the intro, it's not all bad. In fact, riding exposed in the weather on our motorcycles is an integral part of the experience. The riding experience. Feeling the wind in your face, catching the smells, feeling the temperature changes, the sun, and even the rain. And none of those should take away from the adventure. But we all like to stay warm and dry. And today we have three very experienced travelers. They're going to talk about how they deal with the weather. Grant Johnson, the co-founder of Horizons Unlimited, Graham Field, author of Eureka and In Search of Greener Grass, and Sam Manicom, author of Into Africa, Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns, and Tortillas to Totems. All experienced world travelers that have dealt with all types of weather on extended journeys. If you were to sit back and plan a trip right now, you'd have to take into consideration, if it was a long trip, what the seasons are like in the areas that you're going to. In other words, if you're riding from Alaska to Ushuaia, there's considerable distance there and there's considerable change in seasons. And going from one place to another, you may find yourself arriving in a season that's sort of unfavorable, to say the least, for motorcycle riding. So those considerations have to be taken in. You also need to think about altitude. It's very easy to ride a motorcycle up a mountain and find yourself in 10, 15 minutes in a completely different ecosystem than what you were just right before that. If you're starting out in the Midwest and you were heading up to Alaska, again, you would find yourself when you arrive in Alaska or going vice versa in the other direction in a completely different ecosystem. So that's an important part of your trip planning process to begin with. First, we'll go to Grant Johnson from his office at Horizons Unlimited in British Columbia, Canada. Well, Grant, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here again. So today we're talking about weather and um, dealing with weather when we're riding our motorcycles, uh, talking about how to plan and, and whether we're checking ahead for weather, whether we're just riding into it, and maybe a little bit about foul weather gear as well. So let's first start by you're, you're planning a, a trip. You're going to go somewhere, whether it be a week, two weeks, or however long. What sort of weather considerations are you taking in to begin with? That's a little tricky. It depends an awful lot on where you're going and when you're going. Um, if it's a summer trip, 
down into central U.S., for instance, I'm not going to worry too much about really cold weather. You, know, you can get up into the mountains in Colorado, for instance, and it can get pretty chilly. So you need a little bit of cold weather condition stuff. Um, and my go-to has always been an electric vest. That's equivalent to about three sweaters, at least, and another layer. Uh, makes a big difference. So that gives me flexibility in being able to deal with any reasonable condition that I'm going to deal with. And, of course, there's always rain. Make sure you've got good rain gear. Um, we've got Gore-Tex suits that work. They're dry, waterproof. We've ridden in ridiculous conditions. We were in Switzerland last summer and absolutely bucketing. It was so bad that the trucks were pulling off the highway. We were okay. We were dry. Sam Manicom spoke to us from his home in London, England. Sam, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Uh, it's great to be back with you, Jim. Sam, you're an experienced traveler, so when you set out to plan a trip, taking in the seasons as part of your considerations is just an integral part of planning for you. But for someone new at it who hasn't done it before, um, it may not be so obvious. No, um, but it it is vital because you are out there living it and everything that you do is affected by the weather far more than if you're at home and at home in an, or in an office or in, in a car, for example. Um, Mostly, I've managed to get it right, but there have been times when I've been delayed. You know, for example, um, it took me three months to get my visa for Iran, and gosh, was I uh, happy I did get that visa because Iran was magic to travel in. But um, the three months delay meant that I made it to the mountains of Turkey when it was full winter, and I was riding on um, inches deep black ice and with pelting snow and the air so cold that my breath was freezing inside my visor and the snow was settling on the outside of it. And riding one-handed, because you need the other hand to be clearing your visor all of the time, on that sort of um, those sort of icy conditions, it's just not funny. But conversely, um, in Africa, for example, you get there um, at the wrong time when the big rains have started and what um, a gravelly, um, reasonably challenging track can turn into a series of quagmires that just are no fun to ride at all. So it does pay um, a lot of, make a lot of sense to, to have a look and see what the weather's um, planning for the different areas you're, you're intending to ride in. I guess I'm lazy, you know. Um, <laughs> I want to save my energy for the things that I can't plan or be aware of. So we get a hold of Graham Field, and he's in Puerto Escondido, which is a little surfing town, and it's in the state of Oaxaca. And it's really, I mean, it's a day's ride from Guatemala. It's, I'm really quite far south. Where apparently it's quite hot. Are you feeling a little hot down there, Graham? I am. I'm glad it's radio and not TV because uh, I'm not dressed appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> a dress for radio. I like that. <laughs> well, welcome back once again to Adventure Rider Radio. We're, we're glad to have you here. Thank you. No, it's good to talk to you from a warmer climate. Well, and that's what we're talking about, isn't it? We're, we're going to talk about weather um, today and weather, how, how it affects us as motorcyclists, and especially while you're traveling. And, and who better to know than somebody like yourself who, who does a lot of it? So when we're looking at weather, I mean, obviously weather affects everything for us for as we ride our motorcycles. When you're out on a trip, are you checking weather forecasts? Are you doing long-term planning? How do you handle the whole weather thing? Um, I don't really. I mean, if I'm going to do a long trip, I mean, obviously, if I'm going to ride across Russia, I'm not going to do it in the middle of winter, but that's just a basic common sense. I'm not going to, I, I really don't look at the weather forecast that much. I mean, I don't do it at home because I've got this little conspiracy theory, particularly in the UK, that 
that the weather forecast is deliberately pessimistic, and I'm sure it's some kind of conspiracy just to keep us all indoors and keep us off the crowded roads. I mean, they always play it down. And so I deliberately won't do it because a sunny day in the UK is a rare thing. And we're, we're and, you know, I love to go out on the bike on a sunny day, only to have someone say something along the lines of, oh, it's not going to last. And so, of course, it's not going to last, but, you know, you have to be so pessimistic about it, you know. So I don't do the weather forecast in the UK, and I tend not to do it when I travel. I, I mean, I've always been, a, a, I sort of look out the window when, back in the day when I was a truck driver, and we'd get up at 2, 3 in the morning, and have to ride to work, a 15-mile journey to work, I'd look out the window and decide what I was going to wear before I jumped on my bike and, and rode to work. So the weather is something that is just there. I think what you can really do is, is, is dress appropriately for it rather than wait it out until it's something appropriate that agrees with your standards. You know? So Graham goes for not bothering to check the daily weather, just ride out there and, and see what he has to deal with, having his equipment with him. Uh, Grant, where do you sit? I have a, a brief look. Mostly uh, I look and say, is it looking horrible? Is it looking nice? If it's looking nice, go. If it's looking horrible, I'll think about it. I'll maybe check it a little harder on the weather and see what the conditions are ahead. And am I going to altitude? If I'm going up to altitude and it's already lousy weather, then maybe it's time to take a day off. One of the advantages of taking a big trip and planning it properly, which means no destination and no set time, you don't have to be anywhere at a particular time, is that you can just take the day off. It looks lousy out there. It's cold. It's wet. Ew, I'm not going to ride. Forget it. Just take the day off, sit back and relax. Yeah, you make an excellent point about having no set deadlines because nothing pushes us harder than having to be somewhere at a certain time. And you need that flexibility to, for safety. Yeah, absolutely. And the number one mistake that people admit to after being on the road for a while was that they planned for too far in too little time. The number one thing that everybody learns is slow down, less miles, more time, relax, and you'll have a much better time. I think we're, we're sort of focused into this, I've got to hit the, get the miles down, I've got to go, I've got to go as far as I can, because we're used to, in North America particularly, two weeks, maybe three weeks vacation at best. So you want to cram as much as you possibly can into that short period of time. And I couldn't tell you how many people have said to me, I, I, I ride on my big trip like I ride on a two-week vacation, and I found out very quickly that that just doesn't work. And even the people trying to put in big miles on a two-week vacation, after a while, after a few years, they start to realize, you know, if I slowed down and did a little less miles, I'd probably have more fun instead of arriving at the end of my trip totally exhausted and needing a break and need another vacation with no riding. I'm tired. Now, how about Sam Manicom? Sam, are you checking the weather on a daily basis while you're out on your adventure? Well, it's such a good question because, I mean, we overlanders, um, particularly motorcyclists, we live in it, don't we? So paying attention to the weather, well, it just means that um, that little bit of planning means that when the unexpected happens, um, the unexpected becomes more manageable and more interesting rather than um, verging on the edge of a disaster, doesn't it? And when I'm planning for um, a trip, be it a, a shorter trip or um, a longer trip, then, of course, I'm going to have a look at the websites um, in the UK, for example, that's BBC Weather um, or the, uh, um, the Met Office. 
Um, and quite often, you know, you can get weather reports from organizations like that for right the way around the world, and they tend to be pretty reliable. But to a certain extent, I take what they say with a pinch of salt, because it's a case of um, do you rely on what you're being told from places like that, or do you work with your own senses? So I do a combination of the two. And I think I'm, in one of the ways, when I'm researching to do a trip, be it a, um, a, a two or three day trip or be it a longer trip, then I am looking at what historically happens in the various different parts of the world. But of course, that's quite difficult now, isn't it? Because it feels like global warming is making the weather ever more um, unpredictable, isn't it? And what about dealing with altitude? I mean, we not only have to deal with the forecast of, of your of the weather, but also altitude. As soon as you ride off, and if you're going to go through a mountain pass or something, clearly that that affects the weather. But and I and I, I've said this before on here is that if you're not used to dealing with altitude, it's surprising what a five minute ride um, up a mountain will do as far as a change in weather. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's not only the altitude from the weather point of view, is it? It's um, it's the thinness of the air. And um, my advice to anybody who's going to be riding at altitude, well, it runs in two levels. The first is take it steady as you go up, because then your body's going to get acclimatized to the the altitude changes. But this is where one of the keys for overlanders comes in. What kit you're wearing. Um, Having layers um, and multi-purpose layers um, is so important, isn't it? Because then as you're gaining altitude, then you can adapt your layers according to whatever the weather and the temperatures are doing. Um, it's, just, it's just common sense, really, isn't it? Now, both myself and Grant Johnson are in British Columbia, Canada. So we deal with altitude a fair bit here because of the mountains and the roads here going up into the mountains and around the mountains. Altitude affects everything as far as weather goes. Grant? Oh, yeah. I forget what the number is exactly, but it's something like every 1,500 feet altitude is a degree centigrade drop, which is quite a bit. You don't have to get an awful lot of altitude before you drop 5, 10 degrees, and it's significantly colder. That pleasant 25 degree Celsius day is now 15, and you're freezing. And, of course, you mix precipitation into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gets ugly very quickly. Sure. You can go from a, a rain and a, a simple, you know, on Vancouver Island here, a simple drive up Mount Washington. It shows you that very quickly. I mean, you can drive from rain. Uh, and as you go up there, the rain becomes harder, turns to snow. And next thing you know, you've got three feet of snow all around you within, you know, five, 10 minutes drive. Yeah, very easy. I can do it from here. I can see the mountains and yep, halfway up snow. And yet down here, it's not bad. When do you look at the weather in the morning and say, well, today I'm not going to ride? When is that cutoff point? <laughs> Pretty early on. There's no point in getting half packed up or three quarters packed up and then saying, oh, gee, it's kind of, it's, it's pouring rain outside. You know, that's the first thing I do. Get out of bed, look out the window. What's it doing? At least do that. And today it's really nice because you can get onto your cell, your cell phone and check the weather app and find out what's going on. And even check night four. And if you see a day that's really forecast to be horrific, um, you just decide to stay in. Yeah, not unless I have to go. You know, there's times when you do, and that's really unfortunate, but try and avoid the nasty weather. There's no point in riding in horrible weather if you can avoid it. I mean, we, we ride in bad weather when we have to, and we've got our gear sorted enough that we can ride all day in absolutely pouring rain like we had to in Switzerland this year. Um, we didn't have any choice. We had to be there. 
but we were dry, we were comfortable, we were warm, we had no issue. It's just, it's not that safe out there. When you start getting lousy weather and heavy rain, there is bad visibility for you and there's bad visibility for the cars around you. They don't see you nearly as well as you would like them to and there is hidden hazards underneath all that rain. A little bit of water and a little bit of oil on the road and wow, that's good crash. How about you, Graham? Are there times that you find that you just don't ride? Um, yeah, there are times, that, and there's several times, where I've just been so soaked and wet through where the, that day's destination has just gone out the window and I've got a room. And that's uh, and I've stayed in that room sometimes for an extra day just because it's been so miserable outside. I, I think one of the most miserable things in life is putting your, putting your drywall feet into wet boots and it ruins the day before you've even turned the key in your ignition. So, and I've done that a few times. And I don't mind putting my feet into wet boots if I know the end of the day is going to result in sunshine and warmth. But if I know it's just going to get wetter, I'll, I'll spend another day in a room. And uh, because apart from anything else, it, it's minging. I, I mean, hot feet in wet boots, nothing generates bad smells quicker so it, and it's just unpleasant and ultimately we, we ride for pleasure regardless of, of what you're doing whether it's a, a little weekend trip or a, or whatever it is it's ultimately about pleasure and enjoyment and i see no point in turning it into an endurance test so i would i will, I will definitely give in to what to rain before i give in to cold for sure and now over to you sam do you know discretion is the better part of valor um if it's absolutely binning it down unless you have to, why ride? Why not find yourself a veranda to sit under and just watch life? Um, I did that in northern Kenya, um, throwing it down with rain. But it was absolutely fascinating watching life and people ducking from one overhang to the next and how the, the, the colour of the, the streets changed with the temperature and how all of the smells in the air changed with um, the rain and that sort of thing. Um, if it's a really stormy, windy day, if you don't have to, why ride? Um, it's, it sometimes makes far more sense just to stay where you are for a few days. Enjoy the unexpected um, length of time that you've got in that place. There's always going to be something interesting going on. Let's talk about wind for a moment. Most riders are no stranger to dealing with winds, and especially when it comes to crosswinds. A headwind is one thing to deal with, but it's those crosswinds that can be really unnerving. You find yourself being pushed from side to side in the lane that you're in. And we'll start with Grant. Grant, how do you deal with wind? Try and avoid it. Try not to be there. But sometimes you haven't got any choice. It just is. Um, Ruta Corenta in South America, for instance, is famous for the wind. Um, in fact, so southern South America is famous for the wind because there's this little bit of land that sticks out in the middle of the southern ocean and the wind just blows and blows and blows. And all the way down the lower part of South America, the wind is blowing off the ocean and you go around the other side and it's still blowing. So you're always fighting the wind. Um, all you can do is keep your speed down, keep the silhouette of the bike small, try not to have big sail-like things hanging off, big bags, make things more compact, make it a little slipperier, and keep the speed down to something sensible. That's about all you can do. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, rearranging bags because, of course, the, the less, less profile you have for the wind to catch, the better off you are, even if it's a small amount. Yeah, anything you can do to help, absolutely. But there's times, like you're saying, in South America, in these areas where you're going to have to ride in wind. You're going to be forced to do it. Um, so it's really tough to say that there's a, a cutoff point when it comes to wind, of when to ride and when not to ride. Well, when you feel like it's all you can do to stay in your lane, it's time not to ride. 
Yeah, and, and it has to do with your skill level. I mean, clearly, if you're really uncomfortable, I mean, you're going to have to get off the road. Yeah, yeah. It's It comes down to common sense. This is too dangerous. I am having a lot of trouble staying in the lane and one good healthy gust and I'm going to blow into the next lane right in front of that coming semi. Forget it. It's time to get off the road. You just have to use your head. Graham, what's your input for wind? Um, yeah, it, it hasn't been a big issue this time, um, other than the, <laughs> the bean burritos I keep buying. But apart from that, I would say the worst wind I've ever had was um, I was in I was in Northern California, and it was sort of the the, the plains heading over to Yosemite Park, and there was this crosswind, crosswind, and it just came from nowhere. I'd overtake the truck. And this gusting crosswind was just impossible. I was on a, a Kawasaki Concourse then uh, with quite a sort of, what was it, a thousand cc bike with a full fairing. And these, uh, and yeah, a constant wind is fine. You can lean your bike, you can deal with it. But these gusts were literally blowing you across lanes. It was frightening. And that was a time when I actually stopped on the side of a, of a fast two lane highway or two lanes in each direction. It was beyond anything you want to try and ride through. It was just, no, I'm just going to wait this out because it was horrendous. But the KLR, yeah, it's a lot lighter. Well, it would be if I could carry, carry less luggage on it. Um, but it doesn't, I haven't really had any huge hardships with the wind. I mean, there's been, there's some beautiful coastal twisties and you suddenly get up to a little vista point where you were suddenly quite susceptible to the wind coming off the sea. But I don't know. The, the, this particular KLR, it's got good tyres, it's got a full brace, it's got hard panniers with quite a lot of weight in. And I wasn't really getting blown around that much. So it's certainly not something I'd look at and say, oh, it's going to be a windy day, I'm not going to ride, because I've, I've never had something so horrendous other than that one I told you about that has stopped me. And I guess if it really was that bad, I would just stop, you know. I guess the downside of stopping, if it really is relentless, is you can't, if it's that strong that you're not going to ride in it, it's also so strong you can't put a tent up in it as well. But um, that's something I'm yet to have to deal with. Okay, over to you, Sam, for your thoughts on dealing with wind. No, for sure. In Patagonia, it's the worst wind that I've ever encountered. Um, it was so strong. I, I slipped a disc battling with it, which was sheer stupidity. And it was a case of, well, you're in the environment and so you just get on with it. You're too busy battling to think straight. And what I should have been doing was stopping regularly. Um, there were dips in the landscape, there were the odd buildings, there were a few villages and towns along the way, and I should have been stopping in, other, in those places, and I should have been getting off the bike, par having parked it up in the shelter of a building, and I should have been walking around so that I was making all of the muscles in my body work, not just the ones that were on the bike and battling with the wind. Um, that makes a, a, a massive difference. Well, beginning in the morning then, when you're getting dressed, how are you dressing for, and when I say weather, I mean foul weather. So you, know, you see that you're going to be dealing with some rain and some cold, which is really the two things that are the, the big thing with us. I, I guess wind as well. Um, but you're going to be dealing with some rain and some cold. How are you dressing for that from the ground up? Okay. If, if I'm traveling on a really tight budget and I haven't got decent kit, then I'm doing things like scrounging carrier bags. Um, what for? Well, um, I inevitably haven't got boots that are waterproof, so I'm going to wear those down inside my boots and that'll help keep my feet dry and windproof. If I'm traveling on the cheap, then uh, I'm going to do things like go carrier bag hunting. What for? Well, inevitably, if I'm traveling cheap, then my boots aren't 
waterproof. So I'm going to be wearing those over my socks and inside my boots. Not only is it going to keep my feet dry, it's going to help keep them warm. But I've also probably picked up some cheap um, local over jackets and over trousers. But of course, ideally, then you want to have um, waterproof boots and you want to have those straight on. Gore-Tex, I think, is the best. Um, but that's only from personal experience. And um, over trousers or bike trousers that you can put layers in underneath as you ride and the same with your jacket um, and start having started off with pretty poor kit really i really know the value now of, um, of, of 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 decent kit i think one of the other things for me is the helmet that i'm wearing um, i always ride with a full face helmet uh, not only because when you're out in the rain, it um, it keeps your face dry, it keeps, well, in my case, my glasses dry, uh, but also it keeps um, a lot of the cold away, and it's um, it's it's you can be you can get cold very very quickly. But the funny thing is, it also works in reverse. I found um, in some of the hotter places I've been riding, you know, at 45 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, that's that's really hot. Riding with a full face helmet there stops me dehydrating quite so quickly and of course that has a knock-on effect to sunstroke and heat stroke and all of those other things so full face helmet really rocks but the, of course the best is is having a flip front because then uh, well you can ride open face if you if you're ready for it yeah dehydration is an excellent point that's often overlooked with riding motorcycles very much so and you can dehydrate really fast uh, when it's cold and wet too because um inevitably you're going to be sweating inside of your kit and uh, that and of course when outside you see it wet then you're not thinking mm, I must have a drink and um, yeah well you've got to keep drinking regularly as you go regardless of the weather what else is in your kit Sam a really good quality um, bike jacket something that you know is waterproof um, I mean, we're talking clothing here, aren't we? Because, of course, the other bad weather bit of kit that um, you can't do without is a really good quality tent. When I travelled, uh, I, I wore a leather jacket and I wore the jacket because I reckoned I was going to fall off a lot and um, it was going to be relatively easy for me to stitch on a leather patch or something like that if I dug a hole in the jacket. Now I ride with the Gore-Tex jacket and... Um, it has a, a good lining that I can put in, take out, and that flexibility is great. Um, the only time now that I ever ride with uh, a waterproof jacket over the top of that is if I know that I'm going somewhere where it's going to be very cold because it acts as a good windbreak too. Basically, we're looking at three different ways to, to keep ourselves waterproof. One is to put the jacket, a raincoat, over your motorcycle jacket. The other one is something like Gore-Tex, like you're describing you use and, and I use as well, uh, a Gore-Tex jacket, which is has the waterproof membrane built into the jacket. And and the third one is the zip-in style, where you're, where you're zipping in the waterproof membrane on the inside. Do you have a preference for one over the other? I actually tend to go for uh, a bike jacket that has the waterproof membrane as part of the outer fabric. I find that by doing that, uh, the outer fabric soaks up an awful lot less water, and that means the wind chill factor is less as you're zipping along. You've not got so much weight of water contained within the jacket to be wicked away all of the time. So I find it warmer um, riding with one of those and lighter. Um, and, and I love having waterproof gloves. 
Um, as soon as my gloves start to leak, then I get rid of them because there's nothing right, worse than riding with cold, wet hands, is there? And how frustrating is it when you're taking your gloves on and off and you're pulling out the lining at the same time as you pull your gloves off? You never get it back in again straight, can you? Um, so a decent pair of waterproof gloves. Yeah, that's very good. Sam, talk about layering for a minute. Okay, sure. Layering is important because it gives you huge flexibility. Uh, you can adapt to whatever conditions that you're riding in. Let's say, for example, you start off at the bottom of the mountain and the weather's really quite mild, it's comfortable. So you'll have your motorcycle kit on, but underneath that you might start off with a pair of uh, thin silk long johns and a thin silk under t-shirt. And those are great, by the way, because um, at the end of the day, when you've been sweating into them all day, uh, you can just take them out, rinse them, and by the morning, they're so thin, they dry really fast, so you can just pull them up back on again. As it gets, starts to get colder, then you might want to pull on a, a, a thicker pair of long johns and um, a thicker long sleeve T-shirt. And long sleeve makes all of the difference because, of course, on a motorcycle, your arms are stuck out and uh, you, can, you can chill off quite quickly just through your arms. Um, and then it's just a case of adding ad an additional layer, let's say a fleece as the next layer as you, as you gain more in altitude. And I think one of the things that's quite key with... Um, layers is that they're multiple purpose you know when we've spoken in the past i've said about the importance of everything that you're carrying having two uses well i'm not exactly advocating that um, silk long johns are the sexiest form of underwear but um <laughs> you know because you can actually wear them on a hot day as a normal t-shirt as well as as an underlayer on a cold day then you get your two uses sort of thing and the same thing with a fleece the great thing about the long johns is that you can get these synthetic ones that they fold up very small. I, I tend to roll all my clothing. Um, it rolls up to a, a very small ball, but it does incredible things for insulation. Yeah, too right. And, you know, it, it means that, for example, if you're riding um, in cold weather and you're descending into the heat, then you're not taking out off great big thick bulky layers that you're having to find somewhere to store. You've got these thinner layers and they will, as you say, pack away quite nice and neatly. Do you know, one of the best bits of, of, of weather kit I've ever bought um, has been a collapsible umbrella. Mine is um, turquoise in colour and I got it because, um, that colour because um, I thought it's such a disgusting colour. Nobody's going to steal it if I put it down <laughs> for a moment. Um, mine's got about 150,000 miles on it now. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's such a brilliant bit of kit because um, you can stand in the dry if it's throwing it down with rain. And you know when it gets um, really hot and tropical rain and you're walking around with a pack of Mac on or something like that, you're sweating buckets inside. Now me, I wear a pair of flip-flops, pair of shorts, a T-shirt and walk around with my umbrella and I'm staying cool and dry. And for photography when the weather's bad, having that umbrella is fantastic because you can get out in the grottiest weather where you can get some of the most dramatic photographs that you'll ever, ever take because you can be sheltering underneath your umbrella. Sam, are you also carrying a raincoat with you to go over top of your waterproof jacket? When I'm riding most of the time, I've got normal black motorcycle kit on with reflective stripes included in it, and that's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, but when the weather's socking in, then I'll pull on um, a long sleeve over um, jacket, which is uh, fluorescent in color with reflective stripes on it. I know as a car driver also that um, I'm going to be an awful lot more visible when the weather socks in. Um, 
in, I, I've ridden some miles in the UK because we get a bit of rain every now and then um, where you know you can't see more than 30 meters in front of you and if I can't see more than 30 meters in front of me then other people can't so I'm going to do everything I can to make myself visible to everybody else there's always somebody who's not concentrating or changing a radio channel or reach down to look at a map or whatever else it may be um, and so yeah I feel it's my responsibility to do that and I feel a lot safer with it and one other tip that um, I use for, for traveling when I know that I'm going to be hitting um, rougher weather is that um, the roll, the waterproof roll bag that I have on the back of my bike, inside that is my sleeping bag, uh, change of clothes, uh, my book, my journal, things that um, I know that I'm going to want to take into my tent so that if we're parking up and it's, um, it's binning it down with rain, then we can get the tent up and then I can carry that bag straight off the bike without having to open any boxes or panniers or other bags i can just take it straight in underneath the tent and unload and everything stays dry that way now graham field hiding out there in mexico i know it's tough to think about foul weather gear at this point but what do you carry as a standard foul weather gear kit right well this time was the best ever because i did this exact same trip at the exact same time a year two years ago and it were two absolutely miserable days from Denver as far as, well, probably Roswell in New Mexico, it started to warm up a little bit. But I mean, horrendously cold, toes cramped and curled up in, in trying to retract into your feet, they were so cold and just, I, I couldn't lift my, my hand off my left hand off of the handlebar to remove my sunglasses when it got dark. And so I couldn't see where I was going, but it was that cold, I couldn't do it. And when I did finally get uh, off the highway, I think it was in Santa Fe, to remove my uh, sunglasses, I was, ju I was just so, I cannot describe how un uncomfortably cold I was. So I knew that's what I had to do. You've got, if you're going to start in Denver in the middle of winter, you're going to have that if you're you know, heading to Mexico. So this time I was pretty well geared up. I got a brand new uh, Revit suit, which had three layers, like Finchulate, the Gore-Tex and the outer layer. I had some heated socks, which I've never had before, which are incredible. And I tell you what, I wish I got the heated gloves as well because the heated grips have limited sort of capabilities. But if heated gloves are as good as heated socks, then they are definitely the way forward. Um, I had a heated waistcoat. I've got a heated uh, trousers, but I, I don't. I didn't bring them. I didn't use them because my theory is if you just the top, your, your core, your torso is warm, um, then really that heat is going to sort of be around the heart and your heart is going to pump out the extremities. So my theory is that as long as your, your, your torso is warm, it's going to sort of pump warm blood around the rest of your body. So I had all of that. I had two one-gallon uh, milk jugs with plastic ones, which I cut out and put over my bark bashes to try and divert the wind a little bit more so that it wouldn't uh, freeze my hands. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really layered up. And it wasn't too awful, to be honest. By the time I got sort of to the Texas border, I was peeling off the layers. And, um, and, and I think, yeah, certainly that gear that I had would have taken me further on a sort of on a, dis on a comfort level, would have taken me into minus degrees further than it does into a sort of into hotter climates. With your heated gear that you're running, uh, can you run it off your KLR? Yeah, I mean, the last time I, or not the last time, some time ago, I, I had a KLR and I came with an aftermarket alternator that kicked out more stuff. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do all that this time. 
you've got to stop spending money at some point. So I just had a regular alternator on it, yeah, just a KLR650, and I was running my heated vest full-time. It wasn't through a thermostat, so it was on full blast all the time, or my heated waistcoat, I should say. I had heated socks that were running full blast all the time, and I had heated grips that were running full blast all the time. And it coped with it. It coped with it fine. So, uh, yeah, um, and that was for two days running. So, uh, yeah, it, it coped with it, and I was warm enough. What did you think about the heated socks? Do you think that was really important, or is that just a, an extra? Oh, God, they're spectacular. They really are. I looked at them, and they looked like sacks. They've got no form. Uh, they weren't particularly stylish, but then it doesn't really matter because they sit inside your boots. And um, they're made by Gerbing. And, uh, and and when I actually looked at them, the, the little elements, the heated elements, were only sort of on the foot. Although the, the socks went up to your knee, it was only around the foot area, not even as far as your heel. And I doubted their capability, but my God, they were spectacular. There was absolutely no doubt in my mind that they were working. It wasn't like a, a, a you know a psychological thing. They worked and they worked great. I've got some dodgy old... 20-year-old second-hand Alpine stars, um, which don't have any waterproofing or insulating capabilities at all. But those heated socks are a winner for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder that. I've thought about that many times myself because it's so easy to get cold feet. And the one thing that I find makes a difference if I am getting cold feet is just putting my rain booties over, like the the rain covers over my boots. That seems to really uh, help with keeping my feet warm, but I have yet to to try the socks. Uh, For rain gear, you're just using your um, riding suit? Yeah, within it, it's a new suit that I've got, this Revit suit, and within it is a Gore-Tex light. Um, now, I've experienced quite a lot of, or certainly a huge range of temperatures um, since I've sort of left, and I left in snow, but I haven't experienced any rain yet. And uh, I looked at the little temperature today, and in Puerto Escondido, where I am, there is 0% chance of rain. <laughs> so uh, I'm yet to test that for waterproof. And it's got, it's one of those ones where the gourd layer is, or the, yeah, the, the waterproof layer is inside the jacket. I don't know how easy that's going to be to take, put it in, take it out, um, or whether that's going to make the actual outer jacket very heavy because that's going to be saturated. I can only... I can only assume how that's going to be because I'm yet to experience it in the rain. I don't know about that one yet. A lot of people will say that you need a very large windshield for any sort of long adventure because you're exposed to so much weather. Um, Other people will say that they don't really like a windshield. Where do you sit? I I do like a windscreen, but not a particularly big one. Um, I'm not hugely experienced with riding with big ones. Um, I met an Italian chap in Namibia. Uh, one of the few Italians that I met um, going around the world, and he'd adapted his BMW GS to have a significant size screen on it, and he loved it. He said it was like sitting inside an air pocket, um, but he said if the wind was in the wrong direction, then it would it would throw you around quite a lot. The wind would catch it. How about you, Grant? How do you feel about windshields? It's it's a tough one. I like a fairing, but I don't like a big one. Um, I think it's important to have some weather protection, but if you have too much, like a great big sail type fairing, um, yes, it may keep the weather off you, but if it gets windy, you're going to be all over the road. It's going to really blow you around. And when you have to go off-road, which you may have to do in some parts of the world, big fairings are a problem. Um, Keep it minimal. Keep it enough. No more than necessary. What about the windshield? Same. Keep it small, and you should always look over the windshield. If, you have to, if you're looking through the windshield, cut it down. You do not want to look through the windshield ever. 
Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and I think you see that on some cruiser bikes where people are literally right behind the windshield. I, I think just, uh, I think it was Graham Field that had just said the other day, I mean, if you don't want to be in, a, in the wind, what are you riding the bike for? <laughs> yeah. Well, you want some wind blowing over your helmet, just not a lot. Uh, if you are looking through the windshield, a little bit of road muck and a little bit of weather, and you can't see, you don't have a, a windshield wiper on that windshield. So what are you doing driving with a dirty windshield from the wind and rain? It just can't do it. It's like trying to drive your car with no windshield wipers. You wouldn't do that. That's just not sensible. So why are you doing it on a bike? Talk about uh, air flowing past your helmet. Yeah. Airflow is really, really good, especially on a hot day. If you have poor airflow over your helmet, then on a hot day, you're going to cook. You just don't get enough ventilation. You, your helmets... Modern helmets are designed with vents so that you get airflow through the helmet. But if you're not getting any air on the helmet, then it's just not going to work. The, the vents don't do you any good. So you need some airflow. So I like to cut my windshield down to a point where I'm getting some reasonable amount of airflow, just not a huge blast and no buffeting. It's the buffeting that really kills you. Heated gear may seem like a luxury to many, but if you've ever tried it and you've ever used it in the cold, you realize it's not a luxury. It really is a necessity. It's like that one piece of equipment that you've got to have if you're doing much riding in inclement weather. And Grant, you mentioned a little while ago about having your electric vest as your go-to thing, the thing that you take everywhere with you. It's not just about comfort, it's about safety. Oh, huge, yes. The number one reason that you're cold is your body says, if I'm really cold, I have to keep this person alive. So it subtracts the heat and reduces the circulation to your hands and your legs. And guess what? Your brain, in order to keep the, co the core of your body warm, that is what keeps you alive. If your core is cold, you're, you're on your way to hypothermia and you're going to die. So it, takes all, it reduces all that circulation to keep the heat in the core. And that means that your brain isn't working as well and you're not thinking well and you're not safe to ride. So as soon as you feel cold, you're no longer safe to ride. You need to get that heat back in. To us, it's absolutely mandatory. I, I think that everybody should absolutely have an electric vest. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. I've had one since 1981. And in fact, I've had the same wires since 1981. I'm still wearing that 1981 vest. The vest itself disintegrated. We took the wires and put them into a down vest. Susan sewed up a little panel on it. I'm still wearing it. It's still good. Sam, is heated gear important to you, and are you riding with it? When I was on the big trip, no, I didn't. Um, don't laugh, but I didn't even know that things like heated grips were, um, were in existence. Um, we eventually got heated waistcoats when we made it up as far as Vancouver Island. And my God, what a difference they made. I'm a complete and utter total fan of the things now. Um, I, I only have a heated jacket. I don't have heated trousers or um, gloves or, or boot liners or anything else like that. But to be quite honest with you, it's because I don't like riding in the cold very much. So I, I tend to stay where it's warmer. Sam, I know you have some tips for us for reading the weather. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean... Most of us um, know instinctively um, 
the sorts of things like, well, you know, if you've got cloud cover on a wintry night, then it's going to be warmer. And if the cloud cover stays during the day, then there's a chance that it will be cooler. And it's all to do with heat reflection. At nighttime, it'll be warmer because the heat of the day isn't reflect, isn't, you know, heading out into space. But during the daytime, it can be colder when there's cloud because the sunlight isn't getting through. So you can see, um, you can begin to judge what the riding conditions are going to be like just from that one alone. Um, there's one that um, I rather like, and that is that if you stand and you, you look up and you see clouds going in all sorts of different directions, then it's a very good warning that bad weather's on the way, um, possibly even hail. It's, it's quite strange the number of times that that's happened to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good rule to follow. And I don't know whether you, I mean, where you are, you'll probably know this one like the back of your hand. But if there's a yellowish tint to the clouds, then there's a very good chance that there's snow on the way. But, you know, knowing what um, the different um, cloud types are um, warning of, that also is quite useful to know. And it took me a long time to remember the different names of the different types of the clouds. But cirrus clouds now those are the ones that you find high in the sky and they're a bit like long street long streamers and if you see those up there then you're getting a bit of a clue that over the next few days the weather's going to change and you could get some bad weather um ultra cumulus clouds and they're a little bit like um mackerel scales if you look up into the sky a little bit like puffy balls really and you see those at sort of mid altitude when you see those you know rain is going to be on the way but nothing too dramatic as a rule the cumulus towers these things are massive i don't know whether you've you've seen them but they start down right low i'm close to the earth's surface and they just seem to go straight on upwards forever and if you see those then you're going to get winds coming and you're going to get heavy showers but the most dramatic ones for me are the cumulonimbus clouds now these are absolutely massive they're very dense so there's no sense of being able to see through them at all they're vertical and they're mushroom shaped and you, you sometimes see these alone and sometimes in clusters. And when you see these, you know for sure that in one form or another, you've got severe weather coming. And um, quite often, um, you can even get tornadoes, mini cyclones happening as when you see these, um, these uh, cumulonimbus clouds happening. One of the most dramatic cloud forms that you can see, um, and then they're pretty rare. So if you're keeping your eye on the sky and you see one of these, are mammatus clouds. And these sort of, um, you see them in streaky clouds, and they're almost like um, blisters or cows ad udders, which is where the name comes from, hanging underneath the clouds. Um, and these are formed... Um, by sinking air most clouds are formed by air that's rising but if you see these then you're about to have a dramatic thunderstorm so get yourself under cover or um, get yourself somewhere where you can take photographs because you're about to have a really good one well th there's another one you know rainbows they're also a good indication of what's going to happen with the weather if you see a rainbow to the west then it's an indication that um, a storm or heavy rain is coming to you in your direction and conversely, if you see it in the east, then the storm's actually bypassing you or um, it's on the way out. You know these old um, um, wives' tales about um, things like red sky in the night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning? Sure. Those are actually true. If you see um, red skies in the west in the evening, it means that there's high pressure. And the red skies is formed because there are dry dust particles in the air. And if you see red sky at night, 
um, that high pressure and the dry dust particles are, uh, are letting you know that dry weather's coming. Um, in part, this happens because of the jet stream flowing normally west to east. So if you see red skies um, in the east in the morning, for example, that means that the dry air's gone and there's a front with moisture on its way to you. But there's, um, there's another indication that you can get. And I love all of this stuff. Um, I, I, to me, one of the finest things about overlanding on a motorcycle is being out underneath the skies and the things that it can tell you. And the moon, for example, that's another one that you can get um, weather warnings from. If the moon is really bright and sharp in focus, um, yeah, okay, you've got fantastic weather at the moment, but that brightness and the sharpness means that there's a chance you've got rain on the way. If there's actually a sort of halo to the moon or a circle around it, that means you've got rain and more, even, more likely snow on its way. It's fascinating, all of this stuff, isn't it? I, you can see why I love it. So when you're on your multi-day adventure, you're going to check the weather before you go, but you're also going to poke your head out and have a look around and see what you're dealing with. And one of the other things that, that the motorcyclist needs to consider is that when you check your weather in a local area, it might give it for your town or your city that you're in, well, you can be out of there in a couple of hours. So you'll, you'll want to look at some sort of trend for the, the province or at least the, the area that you're in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, one of my favorite uh, travel sayings is um, gray skies are just clouds passing over. And of course, when you're on a motorcycle or any other vehicle for that matter, well, actually, you're doing the passing just as much as the cloud is. So you can be scooting on out of whatever trouble you fi suddenly find yourself in weather-wise fairly rapidly. Sam, at one point, you'd mentioned using your nose to help predict the weather. Mm. You know, I said earlier on about um, all of your senses working. Your sense of smell can also help um, work out what's going to happen with the weather next. For example, um, when there's low pressure, um, and that low pressure normally means that there's a bad weather change happening, the air can quite often smell like compost because the plants release um, different scents when there's low pressure coming. Um, flowers and the trees can also smell stronger before a rain comes. Um, I, I challenge everybody who's listening um, to go out and start doing some smelling because I tell you what, it's true, this stuff really, really does work. And it's also watching what the plants will do. Now, um, naturalists know that when there's um, rain coming, well, pine cones close. When it's, when it's um, dry, then the pine cones open up and some leaves actually curl when the rain's coming. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, then you can look out for what's happening with oaks and maples because those leaves tend to curl up um, when there's rain coming. And there's another one um, that I like. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you climb out of your tent, if there's dew at sunrise, then there's a very good chance that you're going to have a cracking day. Um, I like waking up in dewy, dewy mornings. And you can also watch what's happening um, with the animals. Um, birds, for example, um, if you see birds flying really high, that means that there's good weather and it's going it's, it's likely to stay for quite a long while. Um, if they're flying down low, then they're a good indication that bad weather's on the way. The, the reason that it works this way is because um, birds don't like the fall in air pressure when a storm's coming. Um, they get a, a discomfort in their ears, so they drop in altitude, so they don't have that, um, that discomfort. And of course, if you see large numbers of birds roosting, then there's a very good chance that bad weather's on the way. And yes, it's true. If, if you see cows grouped to to, together and lying down, that's also another indication that um, bad weather is on its way.
Well, well, Sam, in your books, you, you talk about dealing with weather and you're pretty candid about your experiences in, in there, aren't you? Yes, I am. I think one of the points of um, travel books is that not only should they share the high points, but they should share the lessons learned. And there were things that I did along the way that were completely stupid. Um, but I still write about those things because I think then if somebody's reading them, they can they can think, OK, I can see why he did such an idiotic thing, but I like the solution. That makes sense. And if somebody can learn from my books and not get themselves into trouble like I have done from time to time, then to me, that's just an added bonus of, of having done the books. Now, back to Grant for a minute. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was fogging, because fogging is a big problem when you're riding in the rain, and especially in cool weather. People with glasses have particular problems with that, but even visors are, are fogging up on you um, very quickly. How do you deal with that? That's always a battle. Um, actually, I go to the scuba diving shop and get some of their anti-fog. That works pretty well. Um, dish soap also works, although not very well and not for very long. Um, I use a pinlock visor on my helmet. That makes a huge difference. Um, BMW helmets used to have a really good anti-fog coating. The Schubers had a good anti-fog coating. Um, pinlock works. It's really reliable, very good. I use it all the time. And on my glasses, I use the scuba diving anti-fog and the scuba diving fog, anti-fog is, is better, you find, than something like uh, Rain-X or something like that? Yeah, it seems to be for me, but none of them are perfect. And if you're riding all day and if you're working hard and sweating, which I've been in this situation, um, and it's raining and ugly and horrible, you're going to have fog issues. There's just about nothing you can do about it. I've never found a 100% perfect solution. There's no such thing. Pinlock for your glasses, maybe. <laughs> Grant, just talk about pinlock for a minute. Pinlock is an inner layer of addition to your face shield. It's like a double layer face shield, like um, like think double layer windows. And they're available for a lot of helmets. There's a, there's a kit available where you can put in the two little pins that go at the side of the visor. So that you can put this second layer on the inside of your face shield. Wonderful stuff. Definitely recommended. And how does that help? Because of the two layers, you don't have the warm, warm inside air hitting the cold, cold outside air. You've got an insulating layer in between, so you don't get the fog. Now, Graham, down there in sweaty Mexico, are there times when you just should get off the road? Yeah, I think so. Be uh, unless, I, I, I'm sure people have impossible deadlines that they've got to meet, but I don't know. When I was riding down here um, to where I am now, Puerto Escondido, and uh, I saw an accident, a motorcycle accident. It was a, a young California kid on a KLR, and I'm not sure what I saw first. There was whether I saw the people gathered round or, or a car park, strangely, and, and it all happened so quick, and I noticed there was a KLR laying on its side, and it had only just happened. And this, uh, and so I just went to this guy, and I saw, saw someone who was obviously a, a, sort of a, a Westerner, you know, it wasn't a Mexican, and so I said, do you speak English? Do you speak English? And he was just like, where did you, where did you come from? I said, out of the blue, like a KLR angel. <laughs> I don't know where to put that in. Anyway, so he was, uh, but the, the, the point I want to make was, um, he, he was, there was, a, there was a lovely Mexican woman who, who stopped and uh, the ambulance arrived and he was patched up. And she was saying to his mate, was when she looked, I saw you earlier, follow me, but follow me patiently, be careful. So they were clearly tearing it up, going too quick. In, I'm not saying that he brought the accident on himself, but they were obviously going fast. They were in, in really, really hot temperatures, which really increased the fatigue. And, uh, and I think if you're pushing yourself too hard, be it extreme heat, extreme cold, extreme 
wet, whatever it is, you're more susceptible to accidents. And, and I think when you see something like that, which I did quite recently, and it sort of plays fresh in my mind, it just reminds me that, you know, I'm not immortal. It can happen to any of us. And, and there's nothing as important as staying upright, really. Well, that's great, Graham. Thanks very much for your input on that. And uh, stay safe out there. Okay, cheers. Sam, thank you very much as well. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Jim. Cheers. Bye-bye. And Grant, thanks very much for your help in all of this. Well, I hope it helps. Thanks, Jim. Well, before you go, Grant, I heard rumors you were going to India. Can you tell us about that? We'll be in India for India Bike Week. That's uh, the week of February 2021, and it's all about motorcycles. India is becoming a motorcycle mad country. There's 12,000 motorcycles they expect there, and we'll be talking uh, to the crowd about several aspects of motorcycle travel and it's going to be quite an amazing event there's going to be a number of travelers there and we hope anybody who's in india is planning to be in goa for february 2021 grant i know you have these amazing calendars for all of us adventure riders out there are they still available very few left we only have a few Uh, we just got a batch coming in fresh from europe and we'll have some available so you can go to the website and get the last few so you want to rush for that because we're into January of 2015 and you, you're going to need your calendar for the year. Yeah, and the calendar is, is huge. It's a nice big calendar. It's printed on beautiful paper and the demand has been fantastic. We've had five-star reviews all the way through on Amazon. It's, it's a beautiful calendar. about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio i'm jim martin now it's time to get out and ride your bike ride safe well this episode was of course dealing with weather and a special thanks to sam manicom who is an author and adventurer graham field who is also an author and adventurer and grant johnson who is from horizons unlimited you can get both Graham Fields and Sam Menicom's books at their websites. Check our show notes for links. And one thing Sam had mentioned to me before about ordering his books, that you can order them and get them free delivery um, through something called the Book Depository. So check out his website there and look for the link for the Book Depository, and you can order the book and not pay for shipping. And that's anywhere in the world, which makes a big difference for us here in North America. You can order the book and get it shipped for free. Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you by Canoe West Media and is available for download at our website at www.adventureriderradio.com or check it out on iTunes. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.